is passionate about cars with Steve Kennard, teaching drivers how to survive the world of modern motoring and imparting wisdom to the next generation of motor technicians. Hello Steve, how are you? Um, fine, fine. A bit windswept at the uh, end of the day. It's fine. Uh, stopped raining now, so not that it makes much difference because we're just about going home. What's happening with this A-Class then? This A-Class. Um, A-Class Mercedes. A-Class Mercedes. This is an O2 model. It's got an intermittent starting fault. Uh, one of the guys went out to it this morning um, and... Uh, Tried it about half a dozen times, um, nothing happened on the key. Ignition lights come on, nothing happened. Looked at that stage, possible flat battery. So we got the starter pack on it, turned it, and uh, still nothing. Um, and then turning it again and again, and then it decided to start. So we don't know whether it's just got a bit of a bad connection or whether it is a, the faulty starter motor. Um, at the moment, it's looking like a faulty starter motor. We've had We've had a couple before, same sort of thing. Big problem with these things, though, um, it's a five-hour job. So it's not your conventional sort of starter motor. I mean, most cars you can actually get on, can actually get onto the uh, starter motors. They're, they're fairly accessible on most cars. Mm. These ones here, you can't even see them. You can't even see the wiring. So it's even difficult to check the connections on the back of the starter. To, to get to the starter motor, you've got to take a fair bit off the top air boxes and um, you know possible inlet manifold and then you've got to drop the subframe and drop the engine down to be able to get your hands in because it's the engine lays at a bit of an angle facing forwards uh, and being a transverse engine the starter motor is situated on the back of the engine up pretty close to the bulkhead or, or mm. almost the floor um, there's no other easy way to get to it you can just get your hand on the starter from underneath, but, I mean, just fingertips to touch it. You know, if, if it had a nice inspection plate in the middle of the floor under the centre console that you could just unbolt four bolts, a bit like the old Triumph Herald things, you know, where you could, like, unbolt the inside of the car, get your hands down in there, it would make life a lot easier. But this way, it's a five-hour job, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess... You know, we, as I say, we, we've had probably um, three of them now within the last sort of uh, maybe about eight, nine months. So the A classes, I guess this is going to be one of their sort of problems. We're probably going to find more. Oh, well, if anyone from Mercedes is listening to this, an inspection plate in an appropriate position for the starter motor might be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talk of inspection plates. I can remember a few years ago on the old um, Jaguars, the XJs, where they had the uh, inboard discs because they used to suffer quite a lot with handbrake problems um, and brake pads the old Rover, Rover P6s the very early, uh, going back to the 70s now um, same thing, they had inboard discs and uh, it was one of those jobs again you, you dropped the transaxle or, or the, the diff unit down to be able to get to the calipers because they were on the the tops of the discs. Now just to clarify, inborn discs, so those are discs that are very close to the engine as opposed to out by the wheels? Um, yeah, but these, these are on the rear, so so they'd be in right close to the diff. So they're, right they're, with you, yeah. they're virtually bolted to the diff. So, yeah, when we say inboard, uh, yeah, you'll have to excuse me because I'm just assuming. You see, I'm assuming you realise. but see, Well, I'm, I'm the conduit <laughs> between the listener and the expert, you see. Right. OK. Where did... You've got normal standard discs which are fitted just behind the wheels, one on each corner of the car. 
the inboard discs are fitted in uh, close to the differential unit so they're virtually underneath the the back center of the car and it's very difficult to get to on uh, as i say on, on the early jags and the uh, the early rovers uh, and that's when rover was a rover but um but yeah they, they were very difficult and and i know guys that have uh, cut holes in the boot floor like an inspection plate so you can actually get down in ah. do the the necessary work in there um and uh, and then put the, the plate back on with a bit of um, body sealer, seam sealer, on the plate to seal it in. You know, sort of half a dozen screws. And, uh, and, and they've done it that way. Uh, not the right way to do it, but, um, but it used to save an awful lot of time doing it that way, you know. And I can honestly say I'm not guilty for cutting a hole in a car. Um, Although I have to say, I do wonder sometimes if there'd be a, quite a good market in modding uh, modern cars. Yeah. Uh, the inspection plates and things, they'd probably invalidate the warranty though, wouldn't it? Ah, oh, yeah, absolutely. But but again, you know, we, we, with us working on cars, and I'm sure all technicians are exactly the same, you get to see things and you sort of think, why did they design it like this? You know, a little bit more forethought when they put these things on the table, then it would have made life so much easier to get in. You know, it's, it's just in some cases, you know, moving a bolt by about half an inch so that you can get access to it or just, just uh, making something a little bit smaller or just a little bit of space here and there or just instead of welding this panel in, it could have been bolted in then if you'd have unbolted it, you can get a better access to a certain component. And, and we find this all the time on cars, you know, um, and, and I've got another another one there sat on a ramp there for you it's Ford Galaxy this yeah. now the Ford Galaxy comes in di- have a look? different shapes and sizes uh, or, or I should say different badges because basically the Galaxy is the um, the Seat Alhambra it's exactly the same vehicle mm. different badge and um, the uh, Volkswagen Charan exactly the same this it's one the same vehicle yes yeah, same vehicle different badges but it's, if, if you look at them, I mean, this one's the Galaxy version. It's got the Ford badge. Um, if you put the Seat Alhambra alongside it, and, and if you was to put the, um, the Volkswagen um, Charan alongside that, they're all identical vehicles, just different badges. And the problems that he suffered, and Ford sort of found this, I think it was a, two or three years after these vehicles were out on the road, he used to get people coming out in the morning finding the windows open mm. on their cars couldn't really find any reason for it just just out of the blue come down one morning find your windows are all, all wide open you think, what's going on here am i possessed or something yeah exactly yeah yeah no it's not christine but you know um on the bulkhead on the design we're going to the design this is basher designer day so on on the bulkhead the the design is the um pollen filter what we call a pollen filter some people call it the cabin filter filters the air into the car um where it's actually positioned on on the bulkhead there is uh in such a position where the drain holes for that particular section of the bulkhead if the drain holes block up and they do with normal debris road dirt gets washed down into them blocks them up if you live under trees big problem because the leaves get in there block the drain holes water then fills up in this um, in the uh, the actual bulkhead uh, and filters into the car around the cabin filter or the 
pollen filter area that yeah. should be sealed to the bulkhead water seeps in you don't really see it or feel it from inside because they've got quite good insulation it runs down under the insulation under the passenger seat and the passenger seat there if you look up at the design under the passenger seat there's a well and it is like a well when it rains because it fills up with water it becomes a foot spa yeah but inside that well foot spa whatever you like mm. to call it mm. they put the central locking unit ah. and some other electrical components <laughs> which eventually end up sitting in a in a puddle so of course water gets in and we all know what happens to electricity and water you start getting shorting out and they found that uh, central locking was going all over the place the windows i mean we, we've had them in where you know you, you sort of close the door and, and the windows go down and they're going up and down by and, and as you walk away the window goes up again and you're thinking what's going on with the car but but it all comes down to this central locking on, on the I mean, this particular vehicle is uh, it's an early-ish one. This is a 96 model. Um, but all around that era, when they first brought these out, they had this problem. The later ones, they did change it. They moved the units. I'm not saying that they cured the water leak, but they moved the units so that they wouldn't be sat in water. But it's just a, you know, it's a classic sort of bad design fault, really. I just have these images of people going along in their four galaxies. It's raining. They've yeah. got their spot fire, which they might quite like. And all of a sudden, the windows are going up and down all by themselves. Yeah. No, it is, it's, it's strange. And, and this, this happened on quite a few occasions. And I think it was actually uh, publicised on the TV on one of these like watchdog programmes where they had this problem where people were coming out and finding the inside of their cars soaked after a night of rain, mm. coming out, finding the windows down, all the seats are wet, you know, and it was down to that. I see, talking about good old-fashioned cars and good mm. design and good mm. solid design principles, can we please talk about this wonderful vehicle we've got on the adjacent ramp? I know you didn't want to talk <laughs> about it, Steve, but it is, in fact, your Cadillac, isn't it? It is. And it's got the engine on the floor, and my, what an engine. It looks like <coughs> something that's taken, been taken from a Saturn V rocket, this engine does. Yeah, uh, I mean, for anyone that might have heard the, the first podcast, I think the first podcast I spoke about my Caddy. We were in it. We were riding in exactly, it. Exactly, we were. Um, well, unfortunately, it sort of lost fourth gear. It lost top gear. And uh, being, being an automatic, um, it's, quite, it's quite compact under the bonnet. It's, it's a V10 engine, but it's transverse. Um, it, and transverse means it sits uh, across the car. Yeah, sideways. As opposed, yeah, as opposed to yeah. uh, front to rear. <laughs> so, so it's a very tight unit in there. And to get the gearbox out, it's a case of having to drop the front subframe, suspension, engine, gearbox unit. Everything has to come down. And it's probably going to be something in the order of about a sort of 24-hour, 25-hour labour mm. sort of job. Um, at the moment, the, the box is, is away being repaired. Uh, we don't actually do auto boxes here. We send them to an auto specialist. So it's actually got a da some damage in the gearbox, has it? There's a problem inside the box. Mm. Uh, big problem with all auto transmissions, um, unlike manual transmissions, auto transmissions inside, internally, need to be meticulously clean. And the sort of um, the shops that should do the, the auto boxes, uh, they should have a, quite a nice, clean, almost dust-free environment. Mm. You know, it really needs to be fairly clinical because of the uh, the internals on, on these boxes. Um, the, the internal valve blocks 
smallest bit of grit in there cause the valve to stick will give you all sorts of untold problems inside an auto box it's, it's not something that we would do here there's lots of special tools and and stuff that you would need and um you know and, and there are the auto transmission specialists out there that specifically just concentrate on auto boxes um and unfortunately my box uh, as i said uh, once they get these boxes apart invariably it involves a rebuild a bit of contamination causes bits of problems you get a bit of a chain reaction and uh, it's cost effective to have the box totally rebuilt and try and do a repair particularly on something like this with the amount of labor involved in removing the box it's really not feasible and viable to try and do a repair and sort of hope and see that everything's going to be okay because there's a lot of cases you can't really sort of um, try it until it's back in and up, up and running it's, it's quite difficult so so presumably also Steve I mean it's in bits at the moment now is the time to check all the other bits and pieces to check if there's any problems there whilst this is all down you know we'll, we'll give the engine a good sort of look over particularly the parts you can't see too easy while it's in there anything that looks uh, suspect in any way I'll replace that we found on the subframe when we drop the subframe unit down you can see on the corner of the subframe there's um, the um, ABS brake unit um, yeah. the anti-locking braking system there you can see that unit there yeah. I know it's, it's difficult because this is not video this is actually talking it's about it's basically a, a metallic block with lots of metal tubing coming out of it yeah those, those tubing are, are brake pipes um, and uh, and there's a pump unit in the centre now, but but this is bolted to the front um, near side. Corner. Oh, it's bolted to the to that square frame. I thought it was yeah. just resting on it. It's, it's <coughs> a strange angle. Yeah, it's, it's just the way they they fitted it in there, so it sits in there. It's actually bolted there. Mm. All those tubings coming off of there, they're, they're actually brake pipes. Mm. Um, one of the brake pipes we found had a um, quite heavy surface corrosion on it because it where it's situated on the subframe. It's right at the very front of the vehicle, so yeah. it so it is open to um, you know to the elements. Mm. Um, even though there is an under tray there, it, it's copying the direct sort of um, weather coming yeah. through. Mm. Which again, I suppose we could say down to the um, the actual designers again, because if the designers so, so now you're criticising the designers of the almighty Cadillac. <sighs> Mind you, I can see your point. Yeah. Well, that, that is it. You know where where that's where that's actually been put. But but yeah, one of the pipes, a little bit of uh, heavy surface corrosion, so it's pointless putting that back on um, without replacing it. I mean, to replace it, it's probably taken us about sort of twenty minutes. Uh, make a new pipe up and put it on there. Um, if the vehicle, you know, if the subframe was in the vehicle, it would probably end up taking something like about an hour and a half. Mm to try and work the pipe out of there because with it like that as you can see the engine's out of the subframe unit so the pipes are all nicely visible yeah if you can imagine the engine sitting in the subframe unit subframe unit up under the car all of a sudden you, you'll struggle to see the pipe let alone get your hands oh, to it yeah um so so yeah it just makes sense to do that um whilst it's uh, on the floor so we'll, we'll give everything a good look over all of the um rubber hoses uh, anything that can't be seen too easy from on top, we'll, mm. we'll do it while it's on the floor. See, quick question. Mm. Um, you know, you're talking about design. Yeah. I know that you're, 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 you're quite like Japanese cars, don't you? You tend to think they're quite reliable. Is this because they're designed well? I mean, you must know because you work on them a lot. I mean, when you're working on a Japanese car, mm. do you think, oh, God, this is so well designed, this is why it's not going wrong? Or is it something else? 
No, I think, um, you know, the, the old sort of saying, really, the, the try and see. And, um, I mean, if you look in all the polls in this, in this country, probably worldwide, I mean, Toyota's... Um, probably go down as the most reliable. Uh, I mean, I, I I worked in Australia for a while, um, and I worked at a Toyota dealership. Now, that's not given me that much of an affinity to, to Toyota, but um, but I mean, it, it did sort of open my eyes as to. Uh, um, I mean, the Australians are not great lovers of the Japanese through yeah. history. Yeah. Uh, but the Toyota. Uh, and the Hilux is is probably the most popular vehicle that they have over there. The Hilux is is quite bomb-proof, and um, and I say bomb-proof. Quick flash in the mind there of of the Top Gear program with the Toyota Hilux they tried to destroy. If you've not seen that episode, you really need to see it. The, the things they put this Toyota Hilux through, yeah. you know, it, it went through being. Uh, left on the mud at Western, I think it was, um, so that it was covered by the tide. Um, so it was completely submerged? Yeah, yeah, and they, and they retrieved it, emptied the water out of it, uh, put some fresh petrol and that in it, and it run. They drove it from there. They actually drove it into a tree on purpose to see how much impact it would withstand. Um, they set light to it, uh, <laughs> and it finished up on the top of a one of these um, tower blocks um, that they were actually uh, uh, demolishing. And, and they, they lifted it onto the top of this tower block and blew the tower block up. And, the, you know, the car's sort of gone from, like, the 16th floor to the bottom in this pile of rubble. Yeah. And, and if, you watch the, if you look at the Top Gear programme, you'll see it. It's actually suspended from the ceiling inside their studio the, the Toyota Hilux and even them you know they retrieved this from the pile of rubble put a battery on it had to do a couple of wiring connections bit of petrol <laughs> and it still started and run is it even tougher than a Volvo? <laughs> yeah uh, as I say Australia is, is probably the most popular pickup or utility yeah. ute the ute as they call them in in is australia it like a truck? it's like a pickup truck is it, it is it's a pickup truck like a bit like your one yeah 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 i mean you you can get the backs for them mm. um like all pickups you know you've got various um like accessories available mm. and uh, depending on what you want to use it for you know it's it's a nice multi-purpose vehicle you know mm. um and uh and, and they are extremely um durable mm. um I mean, some of the other Japanese vehicles, they're, they're okay, but I think the, the the Toyotas really come top of the tree on, on reliability factors mm. in, in virtually any pole. You know, if you look to any pole, I would say almost in any country, the Toyotas are going to be up on the top of the tree there somewhere. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, and, and we, don't, we don't get that many problems with them. You know, we don't sort of get them in for anything other than routine servicing. It's... Mm. Um, I can't really think of any inherent Toyota problems. Yeah. Um, and yet, on, just like any other modern car, they still rely on all these electronics and little black boxes and things, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, they do, they do. But but we don't we don't get sort of, uh, or we've not seen so many of those type of management system problems on those types of vehicles. You mm. know, uh, I guess you know I would have to say we probably get most management problems on the French cars. And then there would be 
even some of the German cars. You know, the Germans had uh, used to have a good build reputation, mm. but Volkswagen and that lot, you know, used to be tough as old boots, as they used to say. But yeah. mm, I think I'd have to dispute that now. Porsches, what are they like? Porsches, uh, not one of my favourite sort of cars. Actually, no, I'm not a Porsche man. Do you get um, money in here? We do. We do have a few come in, actually, like, but, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're just a glorified Volkswagen, you know. But each their own, you know, it's not... It wouldn't be... If someone said to me about a sports car, it would not be my choice of sports car, that's for sure. Um, no, nah, def- definitely not. Well, Steve, I could talk all day, but I know that you've got to get on, and thank you so much, and... Uh Folks, if you're enjoying these podcasts, of course, uh, Steve's Garage is in Kemptown in the wonderful town of Brighton, UK. So if you're in America or Japan or somewhere, bring your car over to be fixed and uh, Steve will be more than happy to fix it for you with his vast knowledge of modern um, car things. Yeah, cheers, Andy. (laughs) Cheers, Steve. Thanks for listening to Passionate About Cars. Passionate About Cars is brought to you by First Class Garage at www.1stclassgarage.co.uk.